Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Two Footed Tackle Podcast. We're back again for another week. I'm your host, Arison Otakos. Hope everyone's well. Hope everyone is well. Hope the week has treated everyone kindly as there's things on my microphone that I should get off. Apologies if that's a disruption to the ears. Probably is. My apologies. But um, no, we're back again. Thank you for coming back if this is not your first time. If it is... Hello, make sure you subscribe to the Two Footed Tackle Podcast. Actually, listen and then decide if you want to subscribe. I'm not going to force you to subscribe, although it would be nice, especially considering we've got just over a month until my my 19th birthday, and I would love to hit 400 subscribers. It would mean the world. So if you are listening to this on audio um, and you haven't subscribed to YouTube, just subscribe. You don't have to listen to it. I mean, it would be nice if you could just like turn it on and just leave it on mute. That'd be great. Um, just get the views up, but... Um, you don't have to listen, but just subscribe, like it, and then, um, yeah, do all that good stuff. That would mean the world to me. We're on 386 at the time of recording, I'm pretty sure. So, um, yeah, if we could hit 400 by the time my birthday rolls around in a month and a bit time, that would mean the world. So, yes, that is um, all the plugging out of the way. Make sure, make sure you subscribe as well. Follow all in all the socials, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and then, of course, all the audio, audio platforms, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts there and of course the link tree bio link tree link in both the instagram and twitter bio for all into foot attack or podcasting needs i think that's it yes we're done okay that's enough for the for the um plugging out of the way some other admin stuff if you haven't noticed from the first two minutes of me speaking i have put invisalign in my mouth that sounds really weird i don't think that's the medical term for it um basically i've had i've had invisalign um implement no not implemented basically i've got invisalign it's braces but invisible technically so it's just two bits of plastic in my mouth surrounding my teeth hence why if i've got a lisp for the next five months six months maybe i apologize i i i'm trying to get used to speaking with it it is painful it's uncomfortable but i digress it is no it is no excuse to not do this may have a little bit of a lisp um especially when trying to pronounce some some s sounds but um no yeah, I, don't, I move on, I digress, it is what it is, just wanted to get that caveat out of the way, but yes, let's kick things off, let's start this, and let's um let's, let's run through what we're going to do as I drop my phone there, um, yeah, if, if also, if you've noticed that I keep looking down, it's because I've got the run sheet on my phone, so um, I don't want to have to like keep switching browsers on my laptop, I've just got the run sheet on my phone, so I know what I'm speaking about, alright, we've got, um, we've got some things to speak about today, obviously the first one, as you can tell by the title, is, um, is the World Cup. Is the World Cup is the World Cup coverage World Cup format change, which was finalised throughout the week, which was good. So we'll have a chat about that. Um, we're going to speak on Antonio Conte. We're going to speak about Erling Haaland. We're going to speak on um, Patrick Vieira. Going to speak about some A League expansion news. Sydney derby happened over the weekend, which as a victory supporter pleased me greatly. Um, victory won over the weekend as well. They lost to Western United, so my prediction wasn't right. But um, yeah, victory won, which was great. So and then um, we're going to preview We're going to preview the week as I'm pretty sure Champions League football is back. Oh no, we'll speak on the Champions League draw as well. Just that's a great, great memor- great memorization. Um, we'll speak on the Champions League draw as well as I put it in my um, run sheet so I don't forget. Okay. So yeah, let's let's kick things off. Speak about the World Cup format change now. Obviously, throughout the week it was finalised that the World Cup has changed. Well, well, for the format has changed. Of course, we all know that it was expanding to forty-eight teams. 42, forty-eight teams, forty-six teams. What is it? Forty-eight teams. Yeah, um, expanding to forty-eight teams. So of course, it was going to be a little bit of a different format. This is, I think, 
this is one of many changes that the World Cup has gone through in recent times, although the most recent change didn't come. I think it might have been the 80, the mid-80s. I think maybe the 80, the 80, the 82 tournament it might have been. Um, it might have been the 82 tournament or maybe the 78 tournament that um, had the most recent changes, the most recent major changes. Um, so yeah, this is going to be the, the, the first proper change to the World Cup in a long, long time. We have gotten used to this whole um, 32 teams. We have gotten used to this whole 32 teams, um, eight groups type system for a while, but it is going to change. It's going to change in a big way. There will be the a lot more um, a lot more games. There will be a lot more teams in it, obviously. And there will be a lot more permutations. Now, of course, the, the, the idea behind it was to have a three-team group, um, which would obviously make the groups bigger, or in terms of make the number of groups bigger, but um, it would mean the top two go through. I think after the success of the World Cup, this or the most previous World Cup in which there was drama happening left, right and centre, I think we all remember that. Um, I think it was Group H with Spain, Germany and um, Costa Rica and Japan, where at some stage, it was Costa Rica and Japan going through on the last day and all this stuff, which was great theatre. So I think I think FIFA looked at that and Gianni Fontana looked at that, who has just been elected in his third term as um, president, which is getting real set blatter territory, may I say so myself, but I digress. Um, yeah, it was good to say. It, that really added to the theatre. I think FIFA looked at that and realised, yeah, we need to... Um, we need to change it, and we can't go back to three teams. We can't go to three teams. So it will be a it will be four team four team groups, four team groups, twelve groups of four with three games played. Obviously, a maximum of eight games. So one extra game played. Of course, there'll be one extra round in the knockout stages. So we'll go from the round of thirty two instead of the round of sixteen. So similar to how the Europa League um, is formatted. I'm I'm ninety percent sure anyway. Um, yeah, of course, because they have the teams dropping down from the Champions League. So, yeah, similar, basically going to be the Europa League format. Um, there is 104 games, 48 teams, 12 groups of four, three games played, eight games maximum up from seven, and two teams in each group, plus the eight best third-place teams advance. So, similar to how the Euros was, um, not last year, the year before, or not last time, the, the, the time before that and the previous time before then, the better or the, yeah, the eight best third team, third place teams advance. So looking at it from an Australian perspective, qualification from the group should be should be an almost non-negotiable, especially considering where we have come from and where we progressed last time out. But if we're gonna look at the if we're gonna look at the permutations in terms of qualifying, um, if I can expand this I can. So um, there obviously with more teams with more teams being in the World Cup, of course more teams with more teams being in the World Cup, there of course more teams need to qualify, which means it's going to have permutations, it's going to have effects on the World Cup qualification campaign and that whole tournament, which I'll touch on a little bit later. But there, if we're looking at, if we're looking at, of course, the confederations, of course, Asia, Concacaf, um, Asia, Concacaf, which is North and North and Central America, South America, Oceania, UEFA, and Africa. Um, if we looked at, if we looked at the spot for, if we looked at the, um, if we looked at yeah, if we look at the amount of teams that were eligible to be, um, that were eligible to to progress through from each continent, we had from Asia four and a half teams. So obviously that relies on playoffs. So of course this time that it was Asia versus the um, they obviously had the Asian qualifiers between the, the third best teams from each group from each final group standings, and then of course they went versus the sixth place team or the fifth place team from um, South America, which of course was Peru. 
So that's obviously four and a half. Africa has five, and we want to know the African qualification system is insane. Um, Con uh, Concacaf has three and a half, so they have the top three go. Th they have the top, yeah, they have the top three go through, and then of course the um, fourth team, the fourth team is goes through to the qualifiers with Oceania, um, who have zero point five, so they don't have a guaranteed spot. They do now. Um, South America has four point five, exactly the same with Asia hence the, their qualification um, progress or their qualification representation. And, of course, Europe Europe has a 13 flat out. Um, of course, they have playoffs in between them, but uh, 13 will go through. So those were the ones initially, of course, in in um, in Qatar. It was, of course, from Asia. It was Iran, Saudi Arabia, Japan, South Korea. No, yeah, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Japan, South Korea, Australia. From um, Africa, it was Morocco, Tunisia, Cameroon, Ghana, and Cameroon, Ghana, and so it was. It was Morocco, Tunisia, Cameroon, Ghana, and Senegal. Those were the five teams from Concacaf. It was Mexico, Costa Rica, the USA, and Mexico, Costa Rica, the USA, and Canada. So they of course got that playoff spot from South America. It was of course Uruguay, Argentina, Brazil. And Ecuador, that is it, isn't it? It is. That is it. Ninety percent sure that's it. Um, no teams from South America, and then I can't be bothered filling in the rest of the teams from Europe. But the rest of the teams from Europe were there. Italy weren't there, which is quite funny, and also a bit kind of considering the top I'm wearing. But I digress. Um, so yeah, those were the teams that qualified last time out. Of course, big teams didn't qualify. No Chile. No Italy. Um, no, no. There was another team that didn't make it. Um, there was another time that didn't make it. I don't know, but we all know we all know the big guns that didn't make it. Colombia, no Colombia as well. So yeah, we all know the big the big team that didn't make it. No Greece as well, unfortunately. Which hopefully this changes. Considering actually, it probably won't considering the teams that all the the spots that actually go up. So if we go to if we go through the teams that will be in the qualification for all the teams that will be that will advance to the finals in twenty twenty six. It has gone up considerably for each um, for each kind of continent. So for Asia now has eight and a third, Africa has nine and a third, Concacaf has six and two thirds, um, Comnebol has six and a third, o um, Oceania has has one and a third, and UEFA has sixteen flat out. So UEFA has plus three, um, Com uh, Oceania has plus one and a third, Comnebol has plus um, Comnebol has plus one or oh, I can't do maths. It has oh I can't do maths. What's what's six and a third the minus four and a half? No, what's yeah? What's six and a third minus four and a half? I've got I I I've got no idea. Um, it's plus it's plus sixty three percent. I can see here on this photo. Um, Concacaf has plus at nineteen percent. Why are they doing thirds? I can't do maths. Um. Africa has plus four and a third, and and Asia and Asia has plus eighteen percent because I can't do maths, I can't figure it out the whole number. But um, but um, yes. Anyway, I digress. If yeah, so a lot of team, a lot of continents will be having 
some a lot of concerts will have a lot more representation oceania is the main one i don't new zealand have been the only, only oceanian team to actually qualify for the world cup pretty sure and that was back in 2010 i don't think any other teams have qualified from oceania um so you'd think new zealand would be an almost certainty for every world cup from here on in you'd think um they of course are by far the most developed nation in that region it makes australia's qualification a hell of a lot easier it almost puts it beyond even a question considering the likes of you think the same five would make it and now we have there's now what eight eight and a half eight and a third spot so there's plus three so you've got the five that made it qatar potent qatar as well potentially they would have to go through qualifying this time around um the uae would be would be a tough ask that's seven and then one more there was talks of Russia joining the joining um, Asia, which would make it tough, of course, but that's eight. So unless Iraq make a massive push, unless the UAE make a massive push, I don't see I don't see Australia's World Cup hopes being dinted by any stretch of the imagination. So um, it will be, of course, a it will be, of course, a um, yeah, it will be yeah. Sorry, it will be should be very easy for Australia to qualify. There is now no excuse for Australia not to qualify for every World Cup from here on in. Of course, unless something drastic happens in the near future. But barring that, it should be, it should be kind of a non-negotiable. Um, it also makes the likes of Italy, who have missed out, who missed out obviously, um, missed out in the last two, which is insane. Um, it should make them an almost guarantee considering. And it should make we really shouldn't be seeing any big nations not qualify now, um, which is a little bit disappointing. And this is why I want to touch on this, particularly in the um, in from the lens of the World Cup qualification, um, from, particularly from the World Cup qualification lens, because um, I know I haven't really spoken about World Cup qualification that much on this podcast, but um, I obviously have expressed my love for the World Cup and I covered it in depth. I covered it in depth. Um, there's that there's that Invisalign coming in to not allow me to say words properly. But yeah, um, I covered the World Cup in depth when it happened, of course, for those who um, have been long-time subscribers, you would know. And if not, go back and look at it. I did a podcast for every single match day. You can see, you can see my tiredness and my voice and my enthusiasm slowly just dip across that month and a half, which was a bit insane looking back on it, especially not getting any sleep and basically running off, basically running off three hours, four hours sleep for a whole month um, was pretty mental, but um, I wouldn't change for the world. I think I loved it, so it was great. And considering the nature of the tournament as well, it was a pretty entertaining tournament, if I say so myself. But I digress. Um, yeah, obviously developed a, a newfound love for international football in that tournament. Of course, Australia, Australia's journey had a lot to do with that. Um, the, the qualification journey, and then, of course, the journey at the tournament itself had a lot to do with that. But also the stories of Morocco, the stories of Canada, the stories of Saudi Arabia, um, these these teams really allowed me to think. Yeah, this is this is the best. This is the best sporting thing in the world. But the World Cup is the best sporting thing in the world, and the reason why I think the reason why I think it is is because I think thirty two teams was was the sweet spot. I'm not necessarily a fan of the expansion because it gives it gravitas. It 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 finds the sweet spot between. If you have too many teams, it's uh, who cares about qualification? Just like get through it. And if you have too little teams, it's like well, it's the same teams every year. The fact that Italy didn't make it, the fact that the Dutch didn't make it last time around, the fact that teams don't necessarily make it every year, teams that you would expect to make it, 
makes these stories of like um, Morocco in particular makes them even more just even more like exciting and even more entertaining because it's like they're not even meant to be here so like they're not even meant to be here so it's like in, in comparison like Italy should be there in San Morocco right if you were to, if you were to pick between one or the two they shouldn't even be here and the fact that they're doing this is insane and the World Cup I think this that's what makes the qualifiers World Cup qualifiers arguably the best tournament in the world you can look at the Champions League you can look at the Europa League Conference League whatever I think they do share share similar traits um, but the World Cup qualification tournament is one of the best tournaments ever. Like, it's one of the best tournaments to ever exist in any sport, in any realm, because there's just this pureness about it. Like, it is pure. Like, it is just pure. And the fact that it it, it takes four, three years, three years to get to a tournament. Like, it, it's not, it doesn't come around every... Like, it doesn't come around every year. The qualification is arduous. It's tough. Even looking at it from an Australian perspective, it went all the way through COVID, playing, like, three home games in the entire qualification campaign or whatever it was. Um, going to going to Qatar to versus the UAE, then staying and versing Peru, who had, in, the, in their own right, had to go here, there, and everywhere to, to qualify for their... For their um, or to get through to the playoffs in their qualification campaign. Of course, going to Mexico, playing in Mexico City at... 600 altitude or whatever it was or like 600 million altitude or whatever it is playing ridiculously high and the conditions favor x team and you have the the vibrancy the colors the culture everything about this tournament is lends itself to the most purest form of football which is why i think i am a massive fan of it um and this is why i think i found a newfound love for it at the world cup was because i i've said i've said countless times on this podcast i'm slowly becoming disenfranchised with club football um Although there is something about international football that doesn't allow me to get disenfranchised by it, I think it. I mean, I, I bring up. I, I know these two players are behind me, right? So Dan and Nine, right? And I know they're they're in their respective international kits. And when I think of football, like when I think of football, I think of like that's what I think of. I think of World Cups. I think of goals scored in international tournaments i think of scenes created in international tournaments um like when i like when i think of like unbelievable goals or shocking moments my mind goes to like lampard's ghost goal in johannesburg i think it was johannesburg anyway um like lampard's ghost goal in in 2010 i think of australia's journey in in 2022 i think of i think of I don't know, Ronaldinho's goal against England in 02. I think about the, the fiasco in the 98 final, he- heavily involving these two players behind me, right? I think about all of these moments. I think about that is what football is. And I think it was so pure in the way that it was. I don't necessarily think changing the World Cup is the best way, f- is the best way, is the best avenue forward, I should say. But football is a business now and we have to accept it and having 42 teams instead of 30 you know having having 48 48 teams or 42 teams i can't remember 48 teams instead of 36 or whatever it was yeah 12 more teams an extra game 104 games as well this time out i think the the start so the start and end period will be the same so they're going to fit in more games in a short amount of shorter amount of time so I reckon there's going to be five games a five games a match day, 
which is going to be mental. Like you have to look, you have to look at the ramif- you have to look at the ramifications. You have to look at the ramifications of this, right? Because a lot, a lot can happen. Like a lot can happen. Of course, like when we look at the ramifications, and we look maybe at the at the kind of look at the. I don't want to say look at the ripple effect, but because that is a, a, a one of my like one of my favorite podcasts. It's called the Ripple Effect, and it's by James Allcott, right? But I, I don't want to use that term. But um, when we think about it, it's we have to think about what this effect could have like on football, right? Because I think I don't think I was finished making my point. But anyway, um, it's a little bit lost track. But if we, I'll, I'll put a pin in that point and then move on and then touch on that a little bit later. But when I think, yeah, when I think about the World Cup and when I think about football, I think about what I mentioned before. And I think that that pureness of the game and that pureness of you can't go and buy players. It's not about who spends the most money. It's about who has the best footballing culture and who can develop the best national team. And you can't go and change your team. Like you can't buy players. You can't just change your roster a week out from the game. You you have to pick from what you've got from what you've got, and you can't change what you've got. So I think that allows it to be very pure. And also the qualification progress. Like football means so much to so many people, and you saw it. I mean. You saw it with the with the scenes during with Peru in their um in their journey at the World Cup, even moving further back. You saw it with Panama in twenty eighteen, as well as um another team that got far, well that wasn't meant to be there. Was it Tunisia? It might have been Tunisia, um in that in that same tournament. I mean, how you look at Australia, right? You look at how a World Cup was able to able to unite a nation like it was. It was one of the best kind of. I wouldn't say you know I wouldn't say one of it was the best the best feeling like, it was the best moment this country's ever had with his sport like, maybe O five challenges it actually I I would disagree O five definitely is up there with it, same with twenty fifteen's Asian Cup win but that whole month, was something special and it was magical and the reason why it was was because, we weren't meant to be there. We weren't meant to be there. We weren't meant to qualify. We weren't meant to qualify. We weren't meant to beat Tunisia. We weren't meant to beat Denmark. We weren't meant to take Argentina all the way and be their toughest game of the tournament, probably. Right? Obviously, they lost to Saudi Arabia, but, like, of the games that they won, I guess. We, we weren't meant to do that. We had a team full of A-League players. Like, we had a team full of players playing in Scotland, and I think that shows the disrespect, the level of the Scottish League, right? Because it is quality, but we weren't meant to do that and we did it so i think that's why the world cup is so good is because it's so pure and so relatable and just so infectious infectious um is because it unites people like never before because of the once in a once every four years aspect it doesn't come around every day and the fact that you only have one shot at it um it can create like it's created so many villains heroes religious figures days of mourning days of celebration like and it's because of the the gravitas that it holds and the prestige that it holds um and i think adding more teams kind of lessens that a little bit because it just puts makes more teams make it but i think that prestige will obviously carry on to being like getting out of the group and then moving into the round 16 and quarterfinals and semifinals etc but I don't know. There's something about adding more teams that doesn't sit right with me. I feel like it goes against the nature of the World Cup and the nature of what it represents. But football is a business at the end of the day, so you can't really 
you can't really kind of argue with it. You can be annoyed by it, but you can't really argue with it. Um, like five games a match day is going to be, I'm assuming that's what it's going to be. I've completely forgot the point that I was going to mention before, by the way, so excuse me and forgive me for that. If it comes back to me, I'll mention it. But five five games a match day, like 108 teams, like 12, 108 games, 12 groups. Imagine the, the stress. I mean, covering that's going to be a pain. Um, if, if, I, if I had to do 12 groups and 48 teams for this tournament, I would be dead. There is no chance I could be able to do that in the capacity that I have now and the resources that I have now. Um, so, yeah, covering that in four years' time is going to be insane because there's just going to be ridiculous amounts of teams. I, feel, I was struggling doing previews and um, analysis for what it was, for 32 teams or 36 teams or whatever it was. Imagine doing it for 48, right? So, um, yeah, it's quite... It's quite um, it's quite interesting to see the the ripple effect I guess of that. I cannot I can't remember for the life of me what the point I was gonna make was gonna be, but um, yeah, I can't remember. It was something about like the ramifications of adding more teams. I think I did cover it with what I spoke about the qualification and stuff, but um, yeah, uh, I should I should have probably written that down or write that down. Written right. I should probably know that, shouldn't I? Um, can't remember it. Oh, yes, I've remembered it now. Okay, we need to think about the ramifications of the locations of the World Cup. That's the point I was going to make. Because, of course, the smaller the tournament, the obviously far more easier it is to host and far more easy, easier it is to facilitate. Adding more teams, more games, more groups means more stadiums needed more people needed, more um, hot, um, hotels needed, more resources needed. So I think we are gone of the days that... I, 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 I think we're gone of the days in which one country can host a World Cup, which is a shame, which is a massive shame because, once again, that's what the World Cup is about. Like, when I think about the World Cup, I think about... South Africa. I think about the Vuvuzelas. I think about, I think about Brazil and the Jubilani ball and I oh know the Brazuca ball or the Jubilani ball was obviously four years previous. But I think about the 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 backdrop of the beaches and the and Rio and the stadiums and the Maracanã and all these state like the the aura around like the branding of the World Cup. Like it it was the branding of the twenty ten World Cup was very very iconic. Similarly, in twenty fourteen, very very iconic. 2018, it was as well to a lesser extent, but I still think it is very iconic. 2022, I felt like I lost it a little bit. Potentially, has something to do with the with the country that actually hosted it. But even if you go back further, everyone, every like when everyone like everyone thinks about like USA '94, and they think about that, and everyone thinks about um, Italia '90 and everything, and what that represents. And obviously, France '98 and Japan Korea '02 and Germany '06, right? So everyone has these iconic images of these tournaments and what they represented and their branding and their aura and their feeling because that's what the World Cup is. It's a representation of a community. It's a representation of a culture that's inviting everyone else for this festival and this party of football. I think adding more teams, making it harder to host, I think we're just going to get more and more commercialised hosts 
rather than football hosts, if that makes sense. And no disrespect to the nations, I just think it's going to be far more commercialized because it has to be, and it has to be, and it has to have more people involved, which loses that sense of community. Because like, imagine how cool a World Cup would be if Spain hosted it. Like you would have, I know, I, I think they have hosted it before, but you would have games play like the Bernabeu, the Camp Nou, and Camp Nou, <laughs> the Camp Now, and um, you would, like the like the branding and the the feeling around it would be awesome like it'd be sick but when you add portugal and now morocco no longer ukraine to it it's like uh like yeah it's good but it's like three of them like three countries i get it you need it because spain doesn't have an infinite amount of stadiums but i don't know like there, there is something just missing for me for that like let's look at um the potential like the the like the host bids, right? World Cup. I don't think the twenty thirty two has or the twenty thirty um has been finalized yet. Um, potential bids, yeah. So, please have a graphic that I can reference. Yeah. So, we're getting from 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 the the confirmed bids for the twenty thirty World Cup. You've got Uruguay, Argentina, Par- uh, Paraguay, and Chile. Location wise, that's good from all accounts. They are all on the. They are all on the southeast side of South America. Chile, Argentina next to each other. Uruguay is quite close. I, I'm pretty sure Paraguay is quite close as well. So I think location-wise, that makes sense. We're not talking Spain, Portugal, Spain, Portugal, and then Uruguay, and then Ukraine, which is sixty million kilometers away from them, right? So I think that's good. But once again, like, what's the brand? Like, what's its brand? What is its world? What the? What is that World Cup's brand? Um, Spain, Portugal, Morocco. I obviously mentioned Egypt, Greece, and Saudi Arabia. I mean, fucking come on, <laughs> like, come on. What is that like? On it, like, uh, speaking as a like second generation Greek Australian, right? I would adore, adore Greece to host a World Cup in in any respect. I would go. I would spend a month in Greece. It would be the best. It would be awesome, right? It would be sick from a personal perspective. However, it it's just shit like it's just shit like Saudi Arabia Egypt Greece the first um, World Cup hosted in three continents I guess it really is the World Cup in that respect but I mean come on like come on like it just doesn't work it just doesn't work for me I just don't like it and then you've got the abandoned bids Morocco I wonder why they why they abandoned it um, Romania Greece Bulgaria and Serbia same thing I mean I get it you can kind of tie it to like a Balkan type thing or whatever you want to call it, yeah, but I don't know, and then, and then, um, England, Northern Ireland, the whole of the United Kingdom plus Ireland, was another bid, I think I have to say that, otherwise anyone Irish would get quite offended, now, so that's the 2030 bids, 2034, I don't know if there's been bids, um, for it, Okay, some okay. So expression. Here we go. This is the one that I w- was looking at the other day and really annoyed me. Um, expressed interest in bidding below. So you've got from Asia, you've got Brunei, Cambodia, Indonesia, Laos, Malaysia, Myanmar, Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, and Vietnam. All of those countries hosting a World Cup. I'm sorry, that'd be the shittest World Cup of all time. Uh, with all due respect, that would be awful. You've got China expressing interest. I mean, of course, they have. Japan, Japan, South Korea, that's fine. They did it, but you know, too, and it was great. And then you've got North Korea as well. So it's, um, yeah, that is something. 
Um, you've got um, uh, Asia, Asia slash Oceania. You've got Australia with New Zealand and or Indonesia. Of course, Australia, Australia, New Zealand are hosting the Women's World Cup earlier or, or later this year, which will be a great litmus, litmus test um, as to how a potential Men's World Cup could go. Obviously, the Women's World Cup is a fantastic tournament in its own right, don't get me wrong, and um, it's going to be a fantastic event. I, I, I fingers crossed it all, it all, it's all run smoothly, but that's potentially something. And then in Africa, you've got Zimbabwe, Egypt, and Nigeria all um, putting in separate bids. Once again, I digress. I am really... Um, I, I, yeah, I digress. I am really just concerned about the potential, but the potential of the World Cup from a purist perspective. Movie, like from a purist perspective, I'm concerned about it. And from a business perspective, it's going to be gangbusters. It's going to go gangbusters. So you can't blame them. But from a purist perspective... I don't know. I don't know. There's something about it that doesn't really give, fill me with too much hope. But, I say but, as if as if we've allowed FIFA to give us, as if FIFA have given us the ability to give them faith. I mean, the Qatar World Cup was run pretty smoothly, barring, obviously, some very, very dumb shit that happened throughout it. Um, but yeah, it was run pretty smoothly. I think they benefited from it being during the during the season because games were really good because players were all match fit. So um, I don't necessarily think that's something that they can hold their head high on. It's just some. It was just the consequences, right? All like part of the consequences. Not really consequences, but the. I don't know what to call it, but you know, because it was played mid season. Of course, players going to be match fit, meaning the play, meaning the game is going to be better. So yes, okay. So yes, let's. Um, I think that's it. I think that's it for that. I think that that is it for that. So, um, I don't think I need to touch on anything else. Do I? No, I think we're fine. I think we're alright. Yeah, World Cup format change. Sick. That is that is it. I'm gonna take a break quickly because my voice is a bit sore and also my teeth are a bit sore. So um, yeah, excuse me for a moment. I'll be back. But once again, you know how it works if you're listening for a while. I could literally stop the recording and none of you would notice because it doesn't make an effect. I'll be two seconds. Bear with me. Okay, I'm back. It, it was actually quite a long break. For, I, 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 had to, I was getting on a call. Uh, I got on a call and it's quite a long break. So it's, I think it's actually been... It's been about 15 minutes since I last spoke. But um, yeah, it was a slightly longer break than I intended. But anyways, let's move on. As we touch on the next thing on my run sheet, which is Antonio Conte. Now, it was I think after the press conference again after Tottenham's come from behind a loss, if that makes sense. No draw. No, they were three one up and they drew three all against Southampton at away from home, I think, um, which was the most Spursy thing in the world. And Antonio Conte basically came out and slammed the club in the post-game presser, which is interesting. Now, we all know Conte, and I, I feel like I need to speak about this, we all know Conte is, a, is like a very um, tumultuous in a sense. He's very kind of split. He splits a lot of people. He's, people like him. Some people, some people like him. Some people don't. Some people think he's good for the game. Some people don't. Some people think he's good for the game. Some people think he, he isn't. 
Some people think he's a good manager for their club. Some people think he isn't. What we do know is that historically he gets results. And we saw that at Chelsea. We saw that at a bunch of other clubs he's been at. He gets results more often than not. And people thought that he'd come to Spurs and do the same. Of course, when you look at the squad that, they, that he's got, Kane up front with Son, pretty good um, midfield players. Of course, Hoiberg was, was a very, very shrewd signing and started his Spurs career off quite well. Defence has a little bit, does leave a little bit to be desired. But he, they're pretty good in most areas, and a lot of people thought that in their t- in his tenure, he would be able to get them at least a trophy, FA Cup, League Cup, or whatever, right? Of course, we all know the, the closest they've come to a trophy since um, 08, where they bet Chelsea in the League Cup final. Jonathan Woodgate, I will... Jeez, you've given them... I would say I'll never forget you. I'll never forgive you, but... I mean, it is what it is. Um, yeah, obviously it was a Champions League final on the pot. So Spurs have been starved of success for a long time and people thought that Conte would be the man to come in and fix that. People did see this, think the same again about Jose Mourinho. We all know he was sacked days before a League Cup final, which a lot of which confused a lot of people considering that he's the master tactician in finals and he's a, play, he's a manager that wins finals. So it's... So, I don't think this Conte spell at Tottenham has gone in the way that a lot of people thought that it would. He is a manager that needs a lot, needs almost everything to go right for him to really excel. And when things aren't going his way, he does find it a little bit tricky to kind of, he does find it tricky to overcome obstacles. And we we've seen now that he had a, had a massive dig at Tottenham, massive dig at his own club, basically complaining about the culture, complaining about the the uh, the kind of atmosphere, um, the atmosphere, the the culture, everything, and it said a lot. I think it said a lot. It did say a lot about him. It says a lot about the club, and it says a lot about their potential hopes. Speaking as a Chelsea supporter, yes, I love to see Spurs capitulate, but realistically, the better Spurs are, it's better for the league. Um, they are one of the premier clubs. They're not the best club in the league, and they aren't the most successful. But when Spurs are doing well, it's more often than not a good thing for the league, right? So, um, it's more often a good thing for the league. So, and it also creates it also creates a the derbies, the rivalries, etc., etc., which is good, right? However, I don't, I don't think that. I don't think that Spurs are in a position where they can be picky and where they can be choosy. They need to get the best that they can get. And Conte was the best that they could get. However, when you have the best, you need to uphold their expectations. You need to uphold the kind of things that they want, if if that makes sense. I don't think... I I, I think I said this when he he came in. I don't think Conte was ever going to work at, at Spurs. Unless they got the absolute perfect signings, unless everything was, unless everything clicked, I didn't think, I didn't see a way in which it was going to work. And I think I said that on this podcast last year or some time ago. So it, for me, this has been a long time coming. And I think this says a lot about Spurs. It says a lot about the fact that as a club who, like, as a club who have notoriously got it wrong time and time again when it comes to managerial appointments, sacking, signings, whatever. It felt like this was the to- this was the season in which things had finally changed for them. They'd got Conte, they'd kept Conte. They had a pretty good transfer window, at least at the time everyone thought that it was a pretty good transfer window. And a lot of people thought, yeah, Spurs are going to be a side, maybe not contending for the league, but at least definitely in the top four and at least pushing what we thought was going to be Man City and Liverpool for the title this season. 
that has completely been the opposite. They've been a rabble, they've been poor, they've been unmotivated, they've been unintimidating. People come to Tottenham and expect to win. That's not what big sides do. Teams, when they go to the Etihad, when they go to, well, when they did go to Anfield, now when they go to the Emirates, they almost resign themselves to defeat because they just know that this team is just too good. Mentally and tactically, they're just too good. Whereas people go to Spurs with the mentality of, yeah, we can get at this team, we can win this game. That's not that's not a sign of a big club. That's not a sign of a team that is going to win things anytime soon. So it is concerning. It is majorly concerning. I think Conte kind of exploding in front of the press like he did is a little bit kind of represents that in a major, in a major, major way. And it's just such a poor look. It really is such a bad look for the club. And it goes to show once again that where where are they going to go? Like, where do they go from here? Because do you keep Conte on? Because he's the best that you can get, maybe. Does Poch want to come back? Or do you go back to Poch? Who knows? But I don't see a world in which... I don't see a world in which... They... That if Conte works. I don't see a world in which, they, in, in which he works for the long term. For the short term, maybe. He may get them top four... I don't necessarily. I don't know what the points kind of total is at the moment. Um, I'll get that up quickly. But um, yeah, they they do sit fourth. They're two. They're two points clear. Granted, Newcastle and and Liverpool have two games in hand, and so do United, who are above them. They also have two games in hand. So they have played the most amount of games out of anyone in the league, or equal most amount of games with anyone in the league, and they sit fourth. So at this stage, things are looking okay. They probably will. They probably might get top four. I don't think they will, but they could get top four. They are a team that, I mean, when we look at their most recent, when we look at their most recent month, they got spanked at Leicester. Um, they lost to Milan in the first leg. They beat West Ham 2-0. They beat Chelsea 2-0, which was a great result. Then they lost in the FA Cup. They lost to Wolves um, in pretty disappointing display. They drew to Milan, getting knocked out in that in that competition. And they, they beat Forest, and then they drew to Southampton away from home. It's been a not, not a good month. Not a good month in the slightest. And funnily enough, this comes off the back of them winning against Man City. So it is a very just weird club to be at right now and a weird club to kind of look at when you have such a cognitive dissonance between the fans, the club and the board and the coach and the players. Everyone doesn't seem, no one seems aligned. I don't see it working long term. I never saw it working long term. I think this has just been the the kind of kind of the the almost inevitable downfall in a sense or inevitable reaction to what I thought was a in, in of what I thought was an a, a squad filled with upheaval and a, and a and a or potential upheaval at least and a, and a and a club filled with at least potential upheaval which is what I think Tottenham are and what I think Tottenham have been for quite a long time so. I don't know where they go from here. Like I said, it's going to be one of those things, right? Where should they should should he get sacked? I don't know. Will he get sacked? I don't know. Should they go and get Poch? Probably not. Who else is there for them to get? I don't know. I think it's just a wait and see. Wait till potentially wait till the end of the season and just um, potentially wait till the end of the season and just see how things go. But I don't necessarily think. I don't necessarily think what he's got like what's going on now isn't going to work i've said that countless times already but i don't see a change that's going to work which is a potentially more concerning thing 
I don't see a change which is going to work because you can't just chuck, sack a manager and change things for the sake of changing. You need to change with a solution in mind. Sacking Conte isn't a solution because the only reason, the only way for that to be a solution is for the next manager to fix the the damage that has already been caused. Make football is one of the football is a thing where you need to make two decisions. You need to make two decisions for it to be the right decision, if that makes sense. Almost three, sometimes even four. You can't just make a decision in isolation and that fixing everything. Because if you sack Conte, who do you bring in? That that is that is the solution. Who do you bring in after Conte? Not sacking him. That's not the solution. It's who do you bring in? And then okay, you brought him in, and then who do you sign to complement him? And then of those players, what systems do you play? to make those players work and then do you play this player up front or on the left wing or as a 10 or as a on the right or in center mid or wherever you need to make multi you need to make multiple correct decisions in a row for things to flourish and i don't think spurs have made correct decisions in a row in a long long time right and and i just like like even even with i mean like like put like put it into perspective with Conte previously. He came to Chelsea. That didn't fix the issue straight away with what Chelsea had had, had in the previous season. Of course they finished tenth, eleventh or whatever it was. In the previous season. Hiring Conte wasn't a solution because Conte didn't have Conte started poorly. The next decision was a solution in terms of moving to a back three. And not only was it moving to a back three, it was bringing in Marcus Alonso, playing him as a left wing back. And then it was bringing Victor Moses, playing him as a right wing back. Then it was um, playing like Cesc Fabregas in a, in a double pivot with Kante. It was all these decisions, these little decisions, which ended up being a title. You can't just sack a manager and expect things to change. You can't just hire a manager and expect things to change. The club needs to put a vision forward and get all those little steps right. I don't see. I don't see. I don't think Spurs have got any of these little steps right, to be honest. But I just think. I just, yeah. I don't know. Spurs are in a weird position. Very weird position. I don't see where they go from here. But um, yeah, not a good look for the club at all. And I guess it'll be interesting to see where they go. But yeah, I've got, I've got no idea. <laughs> I've got no idea. Okay, let's move on. Let's speak on Patrick Vieira quickly. I don't want to speak about this too long because I do want to touch on some A-League things a little bit later as well. And I don't want this to go over an hour if I can help it. So, um, Vieira sacked. Oh, yeah. Forgot. Let, let's speak about Haaland. Haaland's a bit good, isn't he? Yeah. A lot of people will... Yeah, I want to speak about Haaland. Um, a lot of people were like, oh, has Haaland's made Man City worse? I don't think... I don't think Haaland has made Man City worse. I don't think... I think that's a stupid thing to say, in my opinion. I, I think... If anything, Pep Guardiola has made Man City worse because he hasn't figured out a way to maintain the performance in which they had last year with the best striker in the world playing in the, playing with their team. That is the problem. It's not Haaland. Haaland isn't the problem. It is because Haaland hasn't done anything by himself to inhibit Manchester City's ability to win. If anything, he's increased it because he's scoring more goals than any other Man City player has ever scored before, right? It's the manager not being able to get the best out of him in regards to the whole team. That's the problem. And that's something I think a lot, not a lot of people have actually thought of. But I think he is the problem. But in, not a problem in terms of he must get sacked, sack him now. It's a problem of, okay, he just hasn't got this right. We need to see if he can change it, that type of thing. 
I think it's very unfair to um. I I I don't think it's I think it's very unfair to be, kind of lambasting him to um. I don't, yeah, I think it's very unfair to be lambasting Haaland for um, for what he's doing when he's scoring more goals than any other City players ever scored, and apparently he's made them worse. I don't get it. All right, let's get, this came off the back of him scoring six goals or five goals or whatever it was in the Champions League. I just thought it was quite a thing, good thing to speak about, but yeah. Um, I'll speak on Vieira quickly. Um, yeah, Vieira got sacked. I'm confused by this a lot. I'm very confused. I think I think he was a good manager for them to be honest. Yeah, it potentially wasn't clicking as it could have. Yeah, they sit twelfth. Yeah, they sit in twelfth place, and their last month hasn't been great. They haven't won since January, right? But they've drawn a lot of games, and they've been like, like when we look at their games, they, um, they beat Palace two 0 Then they got then they got granted they got they lost to Spurs four 0 But after that, two one loss, one nil loss, one all nil all, two one one all one all nil all one nil one nil one nil, and then four one. So it's quite ironic that the game that Vieira doesn't coach and the game after he gets sacked, they suffer their heaviest defeat in a competitive game since since October where they lost 3-0 to Everton. But that's probably on par with them, with that result. So it's like... <laughs> so it's like, I'm sorry, the the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I think it was a boneheaded decision. Boneheaded decision. Yeah, it wasn't working as it, as it, as it is right now, but you have to have the faith. You have to have the faith. And... The fact that they just got rid of him like that, even after the results haven't been that bad, and don't don't allow him to get through this poor period of, of, of thing, this poor period of form, I should say, until the end of the season or until they are re- really in a relegation battle, is poor form from, from them. Poor form from them. I, I don't understand the decision. I really don't. It's confusing to me. Hence why... Um, hence why, like, yeah... Um, hence why I just don't. And um, sorry, apologies. And um, yeah, yeah, I yeah, I just don't, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Anyway, I digress. Let's move on. Let's speak on um the Champions League draw quickly. I'm just gonna give my quick predictions. Um, I'm just gonna give my quick predictions. Oh, I've got its international break next week, isn't it? Great, and that's that's good. Um. I'm going to give my quick predictions. Oh, yeah, the Socceroos squad got announced, didn't it? I should probably have covered that. Um, I'll cover that quickly a little bit later. Jeez, there's a lot of... um. There's a lot of... um, A lot of things happening that I just forgot to put on my run sheet. And I want to get this up. I'm going to wrap this up quickly because I don't want to ramble on for too long, which is something that I've done in the past. And this is exactly what I'm doing now. All right, let's speak on the, on, let's speak on the quarterfinals quickly. I'm just going to give my prediction for the tie. Napoli-Milan. Great tie. Great tie. Napoli go through. Benfica Inter. Inter go through. So it's an all Italian semi final. Real Madrid Chelsea. Chelsea go through. Man City Bayern. Man City go through. All English and all Italian fin- or semi finals. And of those semi finals, Chelsea go through and Napoli go through. It's going to be a Chelsea Napoli final. And I my, my, my predictions probably will change when I come up to the games, but. Um, like like I I will. I will, um, kind of I don't know how to say it. I will. I will change my predictions based on the game state, obviously. So if like Real Madrid win the first leg six 0 I'm not going to predict Chelsea to win. So um, yeah, there you go. There you go. So yeah, let's um let's move on. Let's move on. 
and let's speak on the Australia, on Australian football quickly. Expansion got announced. Um, Auckland and Canberra for not next season, the season after, and then there's going to be two more teams the season after that. Um, just quickly, because I want to wrap this up quickly, I spoke too long in the World Cup. Um, Canberra, good, very good. Should have already been in the league already. The fact that they aren't is a joke. Um, I assume it's going to be just a... Um, I assume it's going to be a... I assume it's going to be a um, Canberra United kind of expansion of the club and just creating a men's team. So I think that's what it's going to be. I hope it's that because they've already got an established fan base, established ground, community, badge, colours, culture, vibes, everything. Vibes. Everything about Canberra United is already set in stone, so just create a men's team and it should be okay. Um, I think they're going to be a very, very handy addition and I think um, it's going to be good for the league. Auckland, a little bit different. I don't really understand it, considering that um, I, I, I think, I think it's, I think it's risky considering the national second division. And I mean, I mean, God forbid the soul who has to figure out what happens to the New Zealand clubs when promotion relegation comes in and they inevitably one of them gets relegated. God knows what happens to them, and I'm not the one figuring it out, so I'm grateful for that. But I like Canberra because of I think it just works. Auckland, I think we'll have to wait and see. Jury's out for mine, but I understand the appeal to getting New Zealand fully invested in CA League brings more people, brings more money, etc., etc. However, of course, the money doesn't go to Paramount, I don't think, because they're doing it with Sky Sports or Skynet or whatever, and then they have, they have their own broadcasters. They don't develop Australian players etc etc so i mean that's part of the reason why the phoenix nearly lost their license back in back in 2015 or whatever it was or 2016 so um it will be it will be interesting to see what happens between both of those with both of those clubs i think canberra should be a resounding success auckland will be juries out for mine but i don't mind it also adds another derby into the league which is great also gives more pathways for potential Australian players to move to New Zealand and then make their way through there. And it also brings more of a talent pool to Australia. Bigger, more league, more games. Or more teams in the league, more games, etc., etc. Don't need to be going over old ground. Okay, let's um let's go to... Yeah, let's move to what was the Sydney Derby over the weekend. 4-0 win for Western Sydney. And... I mean, really, do we have to touch on Karika? Because um, surely, surely his time's ticking, right? Surely, surely his time's ticking. I don't, I don't see a way in which he keeps his job. I don't, I don't see a way in which Steve Karika keeps his job. I think his job is untenable. When we look at his actually, when we look at his managerial career. I mean, a lot of it, like a lot of it is very underwhelming, right? And I know he had success early on, but you could look at it and say, yeah, that was obviously with Arnie's squad and Arnie's tactics, etc. The further we've moved away from that era, the worse they've got. He, uh, there's just something about him that just, there's something about his, uh, him that just doesn't click for me. Yeah, there's something about him that doesn't click for me. When we look at, um, when we look at the, the table, of course, they got spanked 4-0. And they are, um, yeah, they, they, they still sit in sixth place. Western United, MacArthur and Newcastle all are breathing down their neck. Same with Perth and even Brisbane to a, to a lesser extent, right? 
the braiding down the neck. It, it will be it will be very interesting to see whether or not he keeps it. I think if they don't make finals, he has to go. If Sydney don't make finals, his job is absolutely untenable and has to go. I think it's a matter of time, personally. I don't think they'll make finals. I think there are a couple of teams better than them that sit outside of the top six that will eventually make their way through. I think, he's, I think his job is untenable, and I think his time is slowly coming to an end. And it would be interesting to see what replacement they go and get, because, of course, there are some other A-League coaches that are performing very well that could appreciate that step up to a bigger club. Like Sydney, similar um, respect to, to Melbourne victory as well, which could potentially happen. But yes, um, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see that as well. Um, yeah, can we move on to some other results? Just same old, same old, really. A-League ticking along nicely. Um, Brisbane won, Newcastle and Perth played a pretty entertaining two-all draw. Victory won a game. What a surprise. Romero scored, which was great. And, of course, City dropped points, surprisingly, um, to MacArthur. So that's the first time. That, that is the first draw in quite a while. Yeah, the first draw since the 29th of Jan. So, yeah, City, City looked very fallible. City looking very fallible in recent weeks in comparison to their start or their yeah their form at the start of the, at the start of the league in particular. Um, let's let's go to um, let's speak on the soccer squad quickly because I probably should have put that in my run sheet. Um, yeah, let's speak on the squad. So we've got um, of course this is the squad for the two games against Ecuador and or for the two games against Ecuador in Sydney and Melbourne on the twenty fourth and the twenty eighth of. March. In goal, we got Gauchi, Ryan, Redmayne. In defence, we got Atkinson, Beige, Boss, Degenek, Deng, Rao, Suter, Wright. In midfield, we got Bacchus, Devlin, McGree, Metcalf, Moy, Irvine, Aidan O'Neill, Alexander, Robertson, Brendan Borello, Jason Cummings, Mitchell Duke, Garan Quall, Craig Goodwin, Owen Mobile, Marco Tilio, with Nestori, Irakunda, Irakunda as a train on. Notes, Ryan Strain in for Aaron Moy, who's picked up a back injury, I believe. So, yeah, Strain is in. Um, the the lineup that I would like to see, just quickly, um, considering it's a friendly, I would love to see some exper- experimentation. Um, so, I would go with Gauchi in goal, why not? I'd go with Gauchi, I'd go with Atkinson, Boss, Rouse and Deng. Fuck it. Um, give me Bacchus sitting with Metcalf ahead alongside... Robertson, give me Borello on the right, give me McGree on the left, and give me the cum dog up front. Why not? And then obviously, obviously, look, I don't like as much as I love like the, the like Suter and all these the and all the the players that play at the World Cup, right? Like Goodwin and and Duke and all this stuff. I would like to see some some experimentation. So I would love to see Deng get some minutes. I would love to see o- O'Neill and Robertson get some minutes. Um, Borello, um, Qual, some starting minutes, and Tilio as well. They're the players that I would love to see some some starting minutes. I think it's a very very solid squad. Ryan Strain as well as a player who I'd like to get minutes as well, considering that he's in the squad. But um, yeah, I think it's a I think it's a solid squad. Two games against Ecuador um, should get four points. Not friendlies, but if we should get at least four points from that, if we're if we're honest, um, both at home. I should be going to the one again. Should be going to the one in Melbourne. Although I think I may be. It's on a Monday night, isn't it? It's on a Monday night. I don't think I can because I've got this to do. It's on a Tuesday night. I might be able to. I've got uni the next day. Sure, but I might not go to uni. I'll figure it out. I probably won't end up going. I'll let you know if I do. I'll say I'll let you know. I'll probably. I'll probably tweet out if I'm going. So follow me on Twitter and then and then you'll see that. But um, yeah. There you go. 
that's a squad. I like the squad. Um, I'm not taking too much into it in terms of potential players that could get called up for the Asian Cup because it's friendlies and well, I like I like the experimentation of it. I like that it's not the exact same squad that went to the World Cup. But yes, there you go. All right, let's move on. Let's go with the preview. And of course, it is international break, so not a lot to speak about or nothing to speak about. In fact, um, Italy England is good. Greece are playing Gibraltar, so hopefully they can get the dub. But um, yeah, apart from that, nothing to speak about. All right. Thank you very much for watching. Tick over an hour, which is the length that I want it to be, this podcast to be at. But I spoke about the World Cup for ages, so I had to rush through the end of it. I really could have been here for an hour and a half, but I've decided against it. All right. Thank you very much for watching another episode of the Two Foot Tackle Podcast. Thank you. Make sure you subscribe. Do all that good stuff, like I said at the beginning. Linktree bio in the... Linktree link, I should say. Linktree link in the bio of Twitter and Instagram, um, TikTok, uh, TikTok as well as the social. Subscribe. 400 subscribers before my birthday would mean the world. Um, yeah, and apart from that, make sure you... Yeah. So you guys, thank you for sticking around. Leave your thoughts in the comments below. Um, Five-star review on Spotify would mean the world as well. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for watching. See you guys next week. Thank you for sticking around. See you guys next week and goodbye.